Today we will be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12 through 18, 12 through 36, chapter 3, verse 19 through 21, chapter 4, verse 15 through 18, as well as 22. Now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. The custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come while the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the, men, the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let them burn the fat first, and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. Thus the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the Men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Now Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against the man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow, both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they, when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people? Therefore, the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye to all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of man. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be assigned to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will rise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. 
And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel forty years. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning again. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And... Um, <clears throat> You can tell a pastor's back, right? Because the scripture reading is super long, right? Um, yeah, I do that a lot. As we continue, though, on our sermon series, I think this is the last one. Is it right, Amari? This is the last one. Whew, I'm so glad. We've been dealing with some tough topics. Um, but as we continue and end our sermon series today on I'm Asking for a Friend, of course, I received a number of questions on churches and money. Okay. What else would you expect, right? With the mega church madness, corrupt national religious leaders, the prevalence of varying forms of the prosperity gospel, it makes sense that you would want to know why are churches so focused on and sometimes consumed by money? Two things I want us to see today. First, from this passage, first, because sometimes we give to God like we don't know him. And secondly, because we give to God, we give to God rather, because he still honors our giving, right? He honors our giving and it's a problem at times because we give like we don't know him. So just redoing the story a little bit. Um, it's about 1,100,000 B.C., and we get a look at the world's first tag team preachers, right? And Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Now, as priests of the temple, they would get the offerings of God's people brought to God, and this is how it worked, as the text said. The priest would take the offering and put it down in kind of a cauldron or pot as the prayers are being offered. And afterwards, afterwards, they would stick a fork in the pot, and whatever the fork brought up after stuff had been boiled off or uh, fried off or whatever it was, what was left after being burned and boiled off would be what the priest and his family and those who worked at the temple would get. Because the priests did not back then have, a land, have their own land, a farm, and, and to eat from. Their work was serving God's people in the sacrificial worship system of the day. And they would eat from the offerings of the day. And they would eat from that fork, whatever came up. But Eli's sons knew that the fat portions, right, the tender pieces would be burned off. And they wanted the filet mignon, right? 
They wanted the meat with the fat around the edges. Uh, my first major at Clemson, if y'all didn't know, was animal science. And I had to take this class on meat. I know a lot about meat because I took that class. I'm a renaissance man. I know about meat. And so they taught us how to grade meat, like to look at it, right? Where does the taste in meat come from? The fat, right? My professor kept saying, fat, the more fat, uh, marbled in, that is where the taste is. And so Eli and his, and his sons, they wanted the tastiest portion. And the Bible tells us that when folks would refuse to give them their, their meat sacrifice before it was put in the pot, the priest would take the meat by force and then cut off the quality cuts before, first before God got his. The Bible says that Eli, the high, I guess call him the senior priest, the father of these wayward priests, heard about it. And the Bible language in Samuel, if we were to go through this, I think we've been through Samuel before, has a lot of double entendres, right? The Bible says he kept hearing about it. And saying that is the same thing as saying, saying, and that's all he did and could do, and that was not enough. He just heard about it and gave it lip service, and we learned why he did, and that was not enough, right? He, 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 and, and he couldn't and didn't actually do anything about it, not only because he was old, but in chapter 4, we learned that he was fat, Right? The Bible tells us these things, not to be mean, but they, they're, they're telling us this for a description so we can infer some things, right? And this is it. He was too fat to do anything to stop it and too fat from what was going on. In other words, Eli didn't like what his sons were doing in principle, but he was not too sad about the food he was obviously eating too. When the Bible says fat and then describing Eli, and I put that passage in there about him falling off the, his chair. Uh, it said he fell off his chair because, and broke his neck because he was so heavy. The word heavy there has a double meaning once again. It is the word heavy is the word glory. In Hebrew, kavod, as in God's heavy, as in God's glory. This is a passage saying, Eli and his sons in eating the fat of God's sacrifice that belonged to God for their, and eating it for their own pleasure and then sleeping with the women that served in the temple for their own pleasure were taking and eating God's glory. It was a sure sign. As verse 12 in chapter 2 says, that they didn't know God. Why are churches so focused and consumed and hungry at times for money? The money God's people bring in? Because we may not know God. We may not truly know God or, or our Lord as God. And I say and I emphasize we. Because I know you want to look at me, right? You the pastor, we know how y'all are. You're just trying to get to a Bentley. No, I'm not. I don't want a Bentley. I want something else. <laughs> Bentley played out. I don't want that. I'm kind of old school. I would like to get like a 1970s Cadillac. Like, okay, let me, let me quit. With the curb feelers. <laughs> Just, that's the era I grew up in, right? Maybe a convertible. An orange one. Okay, we already <laughs> been through this. But, and I emphasize we because it is easy to make this again about the glory seeking of priests. 
And then y'all get to hear about me dog myself and hurt my opportunity to become the next mega church millionaire, right? No, this is about you. You know why? Because the Old Testament upgrades church people. Know what it says about you? It says that the pastor is not the only priest in the church, right? It calls the regular churchgoer the royal priesthood. Uh-oh. So we have a room filled with Eli and his sons. And in this case, daughters too, right? All of us. So this is about how all of us, you and me, handle money that should go to God like our tithes and offerings and, and what we hope to accomplish out of them puts us in the same position as Eli and his sons and how we handle our resources, whether or not we give to God what is due his glory or keep or give to ourselves may show us, right? It, it, it just may show us whether we know God or not. It's a hard one. Now, saying that they didn't know the Lord, I'm going to take it at its most basic meaning, and then we'll put some nuance on it. It meant at its most basic meaning that Hophni and Phinehas were not in their hearts believers. That's what it could mean. They, they, they were born into the family business of being priests. And they use it as a way to get theirs, right? To get paid and not serve God or his people. So the Bible says that's why they treated God's offering, as verse 17 says in chapter 2, with contempt. And contempt would mean that they weren't in step with God's plans and purposes. They, they didn't care or respect what God really wanted with it or his wishes. They didn't live like God was really the Lord. They simply saw it as God not being careful with his stuff. Turning his head. He ain't looking. Get it while you can get it. He's a spirit. He can't do nothing. Or, 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 or like I said, like him not really being there or, or blind or leaving it up for grabs or thinking he was not really alive or able to stop them. That, that he was just another deity or, or spiritual situation to be manipulated. Kind of, or, or maybe this Harry Potter style, you know, potion, making God this impersonal force who just kind of gives the directions for getting blessed and, and backing off of it, right? Who could be taken lightly and an advantage of and didn't really, really care what, what, you, what you did. So if you want to nail it here, they not only thought they could play God, they thought they could play God, Right? <laughs> And Eli tries to tell him, no one plays God and gets away with it. You think you gangster and slick? As much as I'm liking this meat too, one thing I know, God is going to do a divine regulate on you, right? He's alive. He's real. Maybe Eli wasn't quite where his sons were. He's like, look, I might be old. I might be, you know, skimming some off the top too. But one thing I know is I know this God and he don't play this. But Hophni and Phinehas, they didn't know him. Even like that. You know what Hophni and Phinehas mean, names mean? I looked it up. I don't know if it really is going to bring that much to this sermon, just to be honest with you. But I, I, I just, I, I like doing that, so I'm going to share with y'all some stuff. You know, maybe if we had a Sunday school or a midweek again, I would go into some deeper stuff. There's so much stuff here. It's so amazing. But y'all can't be here an hour and 15 minutes today, right? Y'all could be there, but y'all be sleeping, right? 
or going, or going to get your kids. Oh, you know how it goes. But anyway, so Hophni means, okay, I hope I say this right, pugilist, right? It means boxer, right? It means fighter. It means someone who wants to get into a brawl, right? And, and Phineas, his, his name means mouth of brass, right? As is closely associated with another term, mouth of the serpent, okay? These are leaders charading in God's church as people who have God's best in mind, has God's words in mind, right? charading, putting on a show, right? As believers in God thoughts, as servants who use their cunning poisonous words, like a mouth of brass, proclaiming something that is not true but poisonous, or using their strength and brute emotional force. Because let me tell you, some leaders just got that thing. They have force. Emotional Ability, right, to, to pull people in, to take from you and from God. I've got bad news then. Here's the truth. I've been a pastor a while. I've been in Presbytery meetings when, when folk get caught and this and that. I don't have to look at TV and wait for the news. Stuff like this has happened right in the Presbyterian Church of America, real close to home. Right? We got, we, got, we got brothers in prison right now. Right? right? Why? why? Uh, 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 guess what? The, the, the school or whatever or the church and stuff, they ain't looking $200,000 later. Right? Real close to home. Some of y'all know. I'm not trying to say that person doesn't know the Lord, but guess what? Here's the problem. Some churches and church people are frauds. Man, this is a good setup right here. Trust me. If I was just like a cultic leader and I could just use my personality and my speaking ability, my mouth of brass, to, I mean, this is a great setup. You know how many tax breaks you can get as a pastor? What? housing and car allowance. I'm throwing this out there on purpose, y'all. Because this is how the sheet's set up at so many churches. And I'm not trying to say it should change. Please don't change it. But I'm here to tell you that, that, this, that there are a lot of frauds. And so what you see are people really seeking to defraud the Lord. Scripture's telling us this because it really does happen. Some churches are spiritual fronts and shows to circumvent God's ministry for financial and personal gain. Some churches want you because they want your money. And they want your glory. And they want you what you should be given, given to God for themselves. They want your praise and glory and stuff for their own personal kingdoms and queendoms. It's sad, but I must say this. Whether they know it or not, they don't know the Lord if they're acting like that. I mean, I hate to say this. It's so hard for me. But some pastors and people in churches are not truly believers. They're gangsters. Right? They're gamblers. 
right? Roll the right, you know, prosperity gospel dice. Oh, if I, if I, if I pull this lever in church and there's all kinds of spiritual ways to do it. Plant your seed, brother. Buy this or, or get this napkin or get this coin. And, and I mean, I've seen some stuff, y'all. Some of you have been in churches where you've experienced, if you give to God, God's going to do this back for you. And, and if you go and touch this car or walk around it 10 times or, or, or whatever, I mean, I've had people, I mean, their credit score was like 100. And they go, I'm going to get that. I am going to get this luxury car because God said I'm going to get it. 100 credit score, store, score, right? Ain't getting no check, nothing, but they got God because their pastor says they can do it. And they go into it for glory, for a car, not for God. That's gambling. Church ain't Vegas, right? We'd have much better seats and a much better buffet and much better drinks. If this was about you rolling the spiritual dice, woo, boom, snake eyes, right? There's something. It's true. Churches are the biggest racketeering and money laundering place they can be of God's grace and gift and people. And I think that comes in two forms, the straight scam pastor, and everybody knows about that. Hey, you know, whatever on TV, you know, the stereotypical kind of thing. And churchgoers or pastor who has come to love and know the comfort of money more than God. Look, it, you can slip. I see slip. I mean, any pastor thinks about it, right? Especially when y'all not acting right. I'm thinking, man, but I, I guess I could just make this a job. Okay, so I'm going to reveal it. Like sometimes it comes across your mind, right? All the spiritual stuff ain't working. Marriage is messing up. Kids act a fool. Like, Lord, where are you? Well, I just need to do it for the check, right? I'm just going to use my gifts to get paid. When, when you start down that road, you know, someone asked me, why is this pastor acting like that? Why, why he got this? Why he driving that car? And you know what I sometimes have to say in humility? I have no idea what it means to have 20,000 people coming to you and you having a giant multi-million dollar budget. Maybe I'll get a jet too if I was in that situation. Maybe. Okay. You say, uh-uh. Yeah. Maybe get some leather on the car seats, you know, some new, something. Some cheese on the burger, two pieces of cheese, something. But you just start to think, I'll take a milkshake, supersize it, you know, any version of what it may be. But it happens when you taste that fat. It's dangerous, y'all. Because what happens if you do give? Because this is what happens. What if you do give like the pastor says, and God blesses you? Mm-mm. Right? Then you start to want to play God and play God. Right? Okay, let me move on because I could go on that forever. And like God told Hophni and Phineas, we, we want and hope, Hophni and Phineas, that they're going to die. Let me tell you something. <laughs> and this is dangerous for me too because if I start doing it, take me out. I mean, I, I, I love what I do. But if I start doing what they do, like we see here, I don't need to be here. Right? I need to at least take a break. Right? Like, like, we hope and urge and do all we can to expose and remove these gangsters. Right? We, 
We don't want this to happen. We want them to come to a true not. Okay, let me be nice. We want them to finally get to know God. Right? So what God says about this, it's okay to say, look, to your friends. Hey, look, I don't know what's going on there. But something ain't right. Right? Like, this seemed like a scam to me. I don't know, but a church should not feel like a pyramid scheme. I mean, I went to, I know about some churches and they all have different ways of doing things. And again, the Presbyterian Church in America, of which we're a part of, the denomination we're a part of, we ain't clean, like it ain't perfect either. So don't, don't, I'm not even going there. But I will tell you, there are some churches, the pastor's like, when he gets a wedding request or a funeral request, this is what happens. Pull up the social security number, how much they gave. Nope, you can't have the senior pastor, you can have the assistant. Right? Get out of there. If I don't get this amount of money, God's going to kill me. Get out of there. Right? right? Or get them out of there. One of the two. But not just leaders in churches, church members too, right? Get this. Sometimes we use this situation, this church. Um, <laughs> it's kind of different here, but I want you to think like this. We use our giving to wash our consciences. And wash our money. Like, we know we greedy. We know we doing wrong with our money. And we feel like if we can just get enough. It justifies us financially in every other way. You know, I, I love my cop shows. That's like money laundering. That's money washing. Right? Like, like. You, you're using illegitimate, you're using the spiritual situation of the church in an illegitimate way to make yourself feel better about what you're doing with your money. Because you really aren't offering it to the Lord. You're trying to find a way to keep all you can that really should be his and thought of as his. And so you just come here and it just kind of feel good. Some people say I get my praise on, right? Or, or whatever, or I get my moral fix during the week so I can be as greedy and evil with my money as I want to be. And I know that isn't most of y'all, hopefully. But it happens. We make decisions on our money before God has a real say-so in it. Look, let me raise my hand as the first one who does that. Okay, sometimes, I, sometimes I'm like, hey, when I get my paycheck, I'm thinking, what can I get? I have to try hard to think, let me pray over this. I'm the pastor. I think like that. I can't wait to go to Amazon.com. I go to Amazon.com before I go to my knees. I know, that's not a regular practice of mine. When I get my paycheck, I'm thinking, what can I get? I was I had my eyes on these shoes, this, that. And, and, and no, it isn't usually clothing for me. It's like something at Lowe's. <laughs> right? Some fish I wanted for my fish tank. Something like that. Man, I got my eyes on this light for your fish tank. It's real expensive. And they got them at the fish store. I got that kind of corny light that came with the tank. I want that big, nice one that you can grow coral with. But we sometimes make decisions before we give it to him, before we put it down in the pot of his decision. Right? 
Okay, I got, I got a long way to go. And that may be because we don't really know God or, or as Lord or because we don't know God as good. Okay, right? Listen to this now. And the, the Bible teaches that God provided for the priest through sacrifices on the other side of giving God his first. It was clear that Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas did not know as in believer trust that God was being or, or, or was going to be good to them with what would come out of that pot. They were acting like what, what, they were acting like they were not sure whether God was good and trustworthy and that they would be okay not having the fat. They took and stole and defrauded it because of spiritual insecurity. They stole it and held it and took their, their pleasures as most people do because they weren't sure what it felt like to live and experience the benefits of living being cared for by God and not themselves. A hard one, y'all. The, the trusting that God, as he says in verse 30 in chapter 2, would honor them, that he, God, would and would take care of his people, that he would not fail them, and that he would not let them down or leave them out or behind. If they were to give in trust to him as God, they would experience his goodness, but only on the other side of actually dropping it into him. Look, I struggle with greed, especially when it comes to food. Okay? I do. When I go somewhere to eat or Kelly makes dinner, I am actually looking to see whether I'm going to get mine. Like a potluck here, I'm like, how much chicken's here? Okay, I just... They leave in the good pieces? You know, whatever. Some of y'all like that. My mom be cooking. Me and my brothers... We'd have our plate with our food, but we'll be looking back at the stove. Is she coming with more? We ain't looking to see whether she got some and going to sit down. We're looking to see, is more shrimp coming? Like, we just, we already got ours. Greed. Why? To secure myself that I will eat and not get left out. I'm afraid I'm going to get left out. I'm afraid I'm going to be hungry. I hate being hungry. Don't y'all hate being hungry? When you go to somebody's house to eat and they got like this? I'm not, I'm not saying anything. One time we went to, remember that our friends wanted us to have the Ethiopian restaurant thing in St. Louis? They're like, oh, it's, and they, you know, the, these friends of ours, they're like runners. They real skinny and all. <laughs> they're from a different culture. Black people weren't running back then. We didn't have jog. We weren't jogging. We, now we are doing more of it. But these were like the white friends who jog a lot. <laughs> and carry the water bottle around. Like they... I'm sorry, y'all. Not, I'm not trying to say everybody's like... I'm just saying that these were the ones. Those kind. <laughs> and they were like, let us order. Since you haven't been to the Ethiopian place. And I hate this line. It'll be more than enough for all of us. No, it won't. <laughs> look how you look. It ain't enough for you. <laughs> and before, when the plate came out on that little plate that you eat, that little napkin thing you eat, you can't remember the bread thing, the mat, the who? Injura, whatever that thing is that you eat. And it had like a ch broken chicken leg, an egg, a spoonful of this. And they're like, this is the feast. I'm like, this ain't no feast. <laughs> and immediately Kelly looks at me. We're going to go get pizza after this. All right. <laughs> right? 
Greed says, I got to get mine first. I don't trust my friend to feed me. I was out of line even to Kelly just a couple weeks ago. Y'all remember? Went to the, was it the Clemson? Where were we? We were coming back from Atlanta. And they had already eaten. Okay? God. I remember this joke that you could tell a guy really likes you if he gives you the last wing in the box. You ever heard what movie was that? Like, if he gives you the last one, you know you're loved, right? So, Kelly already had her food. I was hungry, right? And I got something from KFC. Wasn't well, supposed to be eating that, but I got it anyway. Boy, that chicken was hot and it was fat, right? And Kelly says, Can I have a bite of your chicken? I was driving. I was trying. And I was like, sure. She gets a bite. Then she turns the chicken thigh to the fat side. You know that side with the fat and the crispy skin that you bite into? Now, some of y'all don't like that. But I like that part. And she turned it. (laughs) And I snapped. It, I was, it was not a good look for me. I'm like, why are you eating two pieces? You're only out for one. Why are you eating my chicken? And we got in a fight. <laughs> I was afraid I was going to miss out. I was afraid I was going to miss out on goodness. Even though I had plenty of chicken and didn't even need to eat all of that chicken. And what, considering my health issues. We can be greedy and insecure in so many ways. And our offering and not offering and our giving and not giving to the Lord or taking or hear this. For even us stingy, miserly People who hide our miserliness by using words like savings. Right? We got to have savings. Not some savings. As much savings as we can possibly have. Right? Where, where that's our golden parachute more than God is. That kind. Now you got to check yourself on that. Right? Ain't nothing wrong with savings. Dave Ramsey right? You, you need some savings. I ain't wrong with, ain't nothing wrong with that. But some of y'all look at savings like your God. Where you will put in the savings before you will actually give to the Lord. Right? Because God can't keep you better than your savings can. Right? I'm just hating because I don't have a lot of savings. I'm sorry, y'all. Maybe I'm just hating, but it's true. Maybe we don't know the goodness and care of God on the other side of dropping all we have into the pot of God's trust. Giving the tithe. Letting God turn his mouth towards what looks like the fat, crispy side of all we have. And we are afraid he is not going to be good or leave enough for us. I live in that fear. I've always been pretty financially broken, y'all. No secrets about that between y'all and me. I'm ashamed saying this, especially before so many fiscal conservatives in this congregation that I lead, but debt and overspending and bad choices and just, it's just stuff happening. Some of y'all know bad situations, bad positions, not able to fully give and tithe at times. And I've gone back and forth over the years and it is right there. When I think if I don't take mine or give to God all that I can or should, I will miss out on something. God will shame me and abandon me. And that is a sign of not knowing God 
and how good he is. This story upon story of people who didn't know God and his grace and providence till they by faith dropped their tithes and offerings sacrificially and, and, and money practices into the pot, into the cauldrons. And sometimes up came, I want to tell y'all it's all good stories. Up came some immediate God kind of lotto blessing, right? But at times, what came up after people sacrificially gave looked like not enough or not filling, or freeing enough, or fat enough, or left them looking stupid while their friends and families and neighborings were all getting fat, right? True. Like meat without the fat, sometimes God will take us through tough, sinuous, grisly times financially, while others are easily with gravy moving along. I remember my mom telling me she was going to give what she could by faith. And then she opened her paycheck and she just kind of let out this weeping sigh. And she ran upstairs. And I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? It doesn't seem like enough. Why, God? The problem is unless you pray it over God first, saying, God, take it, show me, you get the glory first. We will continue to scheme and scam. To secure ourselves. It's preaching to me, y'all. That's why I'm getting all quiet. <laughs> and in doing so, we keep ourselves from a knowledge of and blessing from God that is for us and for our good. You need to know God being good on the other side of giving him it all. Not before. When we do that, we miss out on what the psalmist says. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We don't know how good the Lord is because we haven't given him an opportunity to show us. We've taken it for ourselves. Oh, man, let me tell you, my financial brokenness and fear and insecurity. Oh, how I wish I could be free to taste that. Like some of you, that, that, that I don't fully know from God. Oh, to be free from, from financial tightness, to fully know the goodness from God, that honor and prosperity God talks about in verse 32. Oh, to be free from and have my heart redeemed from not knowing God's goodness, cut off, living in financial death, no matter how rich I am, right? Trying to scheme and scam and shuck and jive God's offerings to secure yourself. Oh, to know that kind of goodness. Know the experience of God's delicious and filling grace in our giving. I know it's hard because in large part, and I'm, I'm going to kind of scoot along here. We're like the wife of Phineas after the ark is captured in battle and her husband and brother are and killed, are killed in, in verse 22 in chapter 4. She says this. The glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. 
like her? I mean, I'll be honest. It's hard considering all the stuff going on in churches. It's hard to believe God honors tithes and offerings anymore. Like you give to this church system. Everything's so broken. Everything's so crazy. Everything's so distant from what happened thousands of years ago that somehow in our mind, because of what we see, we think God doesn't get glory from this anymore. That, that ship has sailed, right? The glory of God has left the church when it comes to my money. But one thing this teaches is, is, is that God continues to honor our giving, right? If we look at verse 17 in chapter 2, just real quickly. It says here, Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And then look at verse 25. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of the Father, for it is the will of the Lord to put them to death. And then verse 27. And there came a... I'm, I'm not going to read all that. But um, basically, he comes and says, this is wrong what your sons are doing. Why? Because my people worship me when they give. You're cutting off their worship. You're cutting off a way that I get glory from what they give. Here is what is clear about tithes and offerings and money we bring to God through his church. God still gets glory from it. It belongs to him. He takes how and whether we serve him with our earnings and our cash personally. Right? He takes it personally. It's his. That's why he said, hey, look, if you do this, it's between you and God. That money, that gift, that offering, it belongs to him. That we have something in our possession that is his that says from us to him. Hear this, that you are God and a good God. Thank you. All I am and have is because of you. And I know that seems weird that God would want, though he doesn't need our money to get by. But the gift is still honored by God as a way of giving and showing glory and weight. And him as important to our lives, as good to us, praise and thanks to God. My dad... He still probably makes more money than any of us, right? And he, he, he ain't retired yet, which is good because he's like the sugar daddy sometimes, right? For the grandkids, he takes them on a shopping spree, like at Christmas. Okay, I'm going to take you to Target, get what you want. And y'all know I always joke and say, go to Lowe's. <laughs> Granddaddy, I want a lawnmower. You know, like... <laughs> Granddaddy, I want that grill. Whatever. And every Christmas he takes the kids and sometimes the wives, not us, not the boys, the wives and the kids on shopping sprees. But one year we got an email from after Christmas that explained that it hurt him that none of us sent him a card for Christmas. And he explained that he understands that we can't give him anything that he needs or couldn't get for himself or didn't have. But that a card would have meant that we appreciate, know him, and love him. That was a terrible situation. 
No, you can't be God's giving. He's impossible to buy a gift that impresses him. But we forfeit his opportunity and right to be praised and honored as God. And we steal from him, not the money, but stealing from him the glory shown in the gift that is due him. Why are churches so focused on money? Because God is still honored and in that glorified by praise and worship through our money, by our resource, by our untraceable, non-refundable, no receipt necessary, freely and happily given tithe, that's 10% of what we make, and offered money. And knowing God and knowing that about God, churches are called to be a place, an institution where part of praising God and glorifying God and leading each other in worship is about giving and calling you and me to give our resources freely to God. And as a place of worship, as a community of faith, we are simply a means of getting your intentional praise and glory to God. Here's the crazy thing. If we weren't to talk about money, if we weren't to say tithes and offerings, right? Because I don't like to, right? I, I, I want to be nice, right? I, I want you to think I'm different. So I don't want to talk about money. Did you know that would put me in a place of contempt for God's offering? God said to bring the tithes and offerings into his storehouse. And for me to say, I ain't going to talk about that. Because I ain't, I'm financially broken in some ways. I ain't perfect. Why am I asking people, look how the church has messed up with money before. I'm not going to talk about money. I'm not going to talk about tithes. Your elders ain't going to call you and talk to you about tithing and offering. And we're not going to talk about the budget and all that kind of stuff. For me to do that would to be more like Hophni and Phineas than not. Because God calls you to it. And he calls me as in this position to say, give, bring it in, put it in the pot, drop it down, trust God. Let me close with this, that not only does he get glory from it, but God blesses us through it. We knew it was coming, Pastor Brown. You're going to talk about how God blesses us. You're going to pass the plates around again? No. Right? The function of priesthood was to offer people a space and means to meet together and be met and reach out and know God, as we talked about earlier. And what is going on with money in church? Has God saw fit a long time ago that God would take what was offered in praise and glory to him and redeem it back to the world and the community in ways you can't buy or exchange it for. Some of us think we're doing good things with our money in the world. Great. But it's not the same blessing of God that comes when we put it to him first. There are some things you can't accomplish straight with your money, being your own God, deciding how to do it, that, that, that you can't accomplish the same things that happen as God gets glory from it, as he says, as he blesses and prospers his people through it. When we were away in our foreign country a visit, They had this place called Garbage City. And, you know, they don't have the same garbage collection system over there. And all the garbage in the city would go to this one town. And you know who lived in Garbage City? Christians. Yeah. 
We don't run things over there. The Christians are the poorest, the least esteemed. Oh, it's the opposite of Charlotte, ain't it? You go to the nice big homes, somebody go to a nice, good evangelical church, possibly. Right? Everybody's a Christian. Just rich, rich Christians all over the place. Over there, it's rich, rich Muslims, not Christians. Anyway, so this place, Garbage City, they have this recycling place, right? And they take what's been refused, right? They take what's been thrown away. And, and, they, and at one part of Garbage City, they intricately take things apart, right? That have been thrown in the trash. They take up all the trash and they take little pieces and they recycle it. And at one of these places that they recycled, they made purses and bags. And I mean, it was amazing what they made. Do you know what, that, what God does with our offerings? Your money ain't clean all the time. It doesn't always come from a perfect heart. You don't even, you don't even envision what it could become. Christ Central has a vision and a mission. We, we don't even quite know what God could do with the little bit of money we bring in. But it redeems it. And like he told Abraham, I bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. You know, it's easy to forget, though, among the corruption of story, that this passage is not about the abuse of resources. Did y'all know that? This is about Samuel. I don't know if you saw it peppered through the reading, but it kept saying, and, this man, and Samuel wrote, raised up before God, and Samuel heard from God, right? And, and it tells us something, right? What, what goes into the church are offerings and tithes and half-given and broken, sometimes seeking self-glory. Sometimes we don't give all we should be giving, but what makes it work to bless when we don't always give enough and give with the right heart? That God has given to. I know this story looks like God is just taking. But he's given. The biggest giver in this church. Is God himself. Every week. I wish we could have it on the flow sheet somewhere. Right? Where. Well, okay. Here's all the ch checks. Here's all the tithe. And the biggest bottom line. Is like Samuel in the story. That God has given Christ. He's the biggest giver every week. You know it makes me think of Thanksgiving. Ooh. I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. <laughs> Lord have mercy. At one point when we were overseas, we, we, you know, it, it's like going to the Mediterranean restaurant every day. And I know to y'all that sounds great. But after three times a day, falafel, baba ganoush, hummus, good stuff, right? I want, and they don't have pork. I wanted a big food line sausage, so, you know? <laughs> I'm looking for it. And I'll tell you, when I got back home, my wife made some greens. Let me tell you about greens. <laughs> Jesus is right. <laughs> greens ain't nothing. Greens ain't nothing. If greens are going to the yard, you would go get a weed killer. <laughs> right? Collard greens. Like, what is that? 
That ain't fescue, right? But boy, you drop some smoked meat. Okay, let me make this diverse here. Even if you have kale. That's not a race thing. It's a health thing. Intersectionality. Even kale. If you drop a piece of smoked meat, for you healthy people, smoke turkey. For me, smoke neck bone or ham hock. Greens becomes a meal. Greens become something greens ain't supposed to be because you put that fat smoky meat in there. Right? Yes, Lord. And when we got back from, from our trip, Kelly had made some greens beforehand and I knew ham hock was in there. And I came looking for that big piece of fat meat. I ain't supposed to eat that. It's smoked, so it's good for me. Put some hot sauce on that with the greens around it. <laughs> I want the meat. But what's the, what's the point, y'all? With your tithes and offerings, it ain't nothing. It's like greens. But God puts his very best. Right? He's given. And it transforms what we give in tithe. It transforms the pot. So that every time on the other side of giving, there's a taste the goodness only God can give. Bring your green. Because <laughs> God's already given Christ. And he transforms it. And when we give and he blesses, we get him in a richer way than we can't if we don't give. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. At this time of thanksgiving, help us to remember that you have given. Like in this story, when you raise up Samuel in the midst of so much corruption and questioning and concerns. Help us to see that you do the same for us. I pray for this congregation that you would season their lives with Christ, season their finances and their giving and their money with Christ. He is your portion and you put him down in the pot. You put him, you give him to us. And I pray that he would be the one that transforms our financial brokenness. So many of us here are struggling, Lord. Not even struggling with how much we make, Lord, but struggling in how to balance it all and fix it all and, and know how to live and how to do money. Lord, help us. Let Christ feed us so we don't live in insecurity and fear and greed and hunger. Help us to be content and satisfied in Christ Jesus. Help us leaders to know how to give ourselves, some of us who ain't given like we should. But help us, Lord, nevertheless, to not treat God's giving with contempt. Give us courage to call this congregation to praise and glorify God.
This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.